as we carry on talking, and it's all going to be magically there. Steve, what are the chances of a second sandwich? Good. Good, good, good. Steve, what are the chances of this mayo or this ketchup? Zero. All right. Have you not, have you not got guacamole? Um, no, I d- decided against guacamole because I don't really like avocado, so therefore I don't really like guacamole. Oh, so when you said you weren't fussed by guacamole, what you meant is you detest it with a passion. No, 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 I wasn't not fussed. I, I would rather not have it. Would you, would you run onto a pitch and hit it in the face? <laughs> At the very least, because I think it is my performative duty as a fan of other yeah, condiments exactly. to reject any sort of uh, guacamole-based condiment. Uh, even if it is, as you say, and did last week, Rory, then it is excellent uh, addition to chicken and bacon. You're a ketchup uh, ultra. Is the, is the chicken and bacon sandwich as good as it was last week? I don't know. I've finished mine and Steve's not made me a second one yet. It's very disappointing. You, you seem to be enjoying yours with your Belgian condiments. Ketchup and mayo, Hugh. You're a lesser man than I thought. What's interesting about part two of this conversation, it will also be <laughs> Steve cooking food, even though we plan to eat during part two because Rory has required him to cook more bacon. I um, didn't realise when I jokingly asked for a second one that he would have to cook again. In your defence, Rory, he has lined up bread. Well, that's what I thought. I assumed he might have some bacon ready to be slotted in with some chicken and some, some, some guacamole. Because there's two bits of budget. He's not managed his portions particularly He's well. not, no. He's, he, that is poor planning. And he is suffering as a result. Yeah, of I think so. And deserved, deservedly so. This is Set Piece Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. I um, did write in the script that Mary Berry has finished cooking, but as it turns out, so she hasn't. didn't get her portions right. And what does Mary Berry always say? Follow the instructions. Get your measurements right. So, Steve, you have not learned from the great Mary Berry. Judgment from the man who, last time we were at his for the podcast, failed to provide any food whatsoever. I gave you a cultural experience, the likes of which you would never have anywhere else. True, seems yeah. to be a little bit on the harsh side. I think it's, yeah, I think he's, he's overreaching. Uh, joining me, Hugh Ferris. Ah, Stephen Wyeth, who likes nothing more than a Twitter argument with Piers Morgan. And Rory Smith, who likes nothing more than a Twitter argument with Piers Morgan. Andy Hinchcliffe is not on Twitter and therefore cannot be involved today, uh, or indeed in an argument with Piers Morgan, although we will be attempting to interrupt his sojourn in the Algarve for a soccer story uh, later on. You can get in touch with the podcast at Setpiece Menu on Twitter, setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Also, search for Setpiece Menu on Facebook. That might have been the loudest munch that was <laughs> in podcast history. Um, as promised, we'll reflect a, a couple more of your emails about football on TV that continue to come in. So thank you very much indeed. Um, it is one of the most responded to episodes. People like the telly. our 122 now uh, episodes. Um, firstly, from someone who wants to remain anonymous, which is the first email of this type. He starts by saying, I'm a fellow Didsburyite who's living behind enemy lines as I'm a Scouser. Didsbury's international, it's not Mancunian. <laughs> That's not why he wants to avoid being named, though. Uh, it's because of this. Great show as always. Right. No, no, no. It's because of this. Uh, I use a paid subscription streaming service. It has 18 channels showing all Saturday games and Sunday as well. Plus, it's generally live to view during the week, if you wish. I pay a £100 a year subscription. It's bomb-proof in terms of screening, whether it's on iPad, Apple TV, etc., because uh, Sky, for example, do not allow you to stream they don't. via Apple TV to a television. I think I know. I might have a friend who uses that same system. Oh, right. Okay. Well, he says this. It's a locked group, so it doesn't take any newcomers. So, Rory, don't bother trying. However, I do now earn an e- a decent income and could afford Sky or BT. However, bar Monday Night Football, I prefer to watch the European or American commentary, which is essentially everything that Chinch does. Um, that he avoids. Also, and this is the main point that the anonymous uh, uh, correspondent would like to say, I'm a nurse practicing in hospitals, homes, secure units and supported living. As you can imagine, I covered all age groups and football is often an icebreaker when providing care. And the one thing that always left me upset and subconsciously makes me think of not giving Sky or BT any money is this. Often old people, he says, (laughs) very 
unceremoniously. Old people who had season tickets are now unable to follow the game due to costs or an inability because of old age or mobility. They were fans, but are now not in any real sense, as they seldom get to see live football. I think it's a scandal. There isn't at least two live games on free-to-air, whether it's conference um, all the way up to Premier League. If it's the national sport, it should be screened on national television. It doesn't have to be the biggest game of the week, as some people in homes, etc., will just watch any match uh, to pass uh, the time. Thanks for that. And this one is entitled, Why Illegal Streaming Makes Perfect Sense in South Africa. And it comes from Sipo Longwane. Uh, you remember we had uh, Sipo uh, get in touch with the show before, and I pronounced it Sifo, um, and apparently uh, that has an unfortunate meaning in Sipo's native language. And so, Sipo, uh, I apologise. How's it, chaps? We've heard quite a bit from people in markets where I there is competition I for games. love how's it. How's <laughs> it is like? the best thing about South Africa. How's, how's it, chaps? Um, amongst several companies forcing people into the multiple subscription conundrum. We have the opposite problem here in South Africa. DSTV, one company that monopolises all the sports broadcasting and then charges handsomely. There are cheaper bouquets that feature, feature local matches. I like that. That's lovely. Uh, but if you want all of the English Premier League uh, and La Liga and so on, you have to buy the most expensive package. It's about 1,100 rand. That is 59 English pounds. British pounds. This is staggeringly expensive for South Africa. So I'm many sure that exchange rate will change after March the 29th. <laughs> yes, up for illegal streams. This uh, podcast is going out a day before proposed Brexit. Day. Oh, is it? Happy proposed Brexit day. Between now and then, genuinely anything could have happened. Um, Enjoy the, it. While you listen to this, it's one of your last hours alive. <laughs> that is, um, so that is Seaport. Um, and finally, um, we've had an email from, unless you want to say anything about those uh, comments quickly. I, I want to encourage as many people as, po- as possible to say, how's it at all times? <laughs> that is the one, the one no, takeaway. No, it's, from um, yeah, the, the, the nurse, the anonymous Strauss nurse yes. I think that's a really good point that, that football does have a, like a bonding a responsibility is a bonding thing within society and it is a shame that that so little of it is available to the huge proportion and this is the point that I've made endlessly huge proportions of people who can't afford Sky can't afford BT or don't want to and don't know how to stream and there's loads and loads and loads and loads of people like that and they are they are being disenfranchised uh, finally we've had an email from Jimmy Anderson but not that one Rather upsettingly. Uh, the missive is principally about Brexit. Do you think the Jimmy Anderson is leave or remain? <laughs> uh, he doesn't leave Burnley. often enough as a tail end batsman. That's true. So he's probably remain. The um, Michael Vaughan very much leave, isn't he? Uh, he has uh, announced yeah. himself as that. Very much unlike Eric Dyer, uh, which is something that we will not talk about today. No. We just simply don't have the time. Let's um, do it on March the 30th as the world burns. <laughs> That's true. So Jimmy, uh, Jimmy wanted to talk about Brexit, but um, th- 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 we have referred to that far too much uh, over the course of, what, last week and this week already. Uh, so we'll maybe get to some of your points, Jimmy, after we manage to convince Chinch that Rory's deal really is the best and only deal available. Uh, but Jimmy also writes in reference to a soccer story from a while back when Chinch talked about the 1998 World Cup coin collection. Mm, I remember it, He yeah. produced it uh, as evidence. And Jimmy says this, I was 12 when my brother and I collected all of the coins. Chinch was the one coin that we opened up and genuinely looked at each other and said, who the hell is that? Before our dad intervened with this. Hinchcliffe, a good meat and two veg defender, that. I'm still unsure what it means, but it was very much intended uh, as a compliment. Get in touch with the podcast at Seppi's Menu and seppismenu at gmail.com. Now, editing note. Not sure we should ever talk about Chinch's meeting too late. <laughs> that's, that's true. Uh, editorial note as well. Mm. Um, so if you're coming in fresh here at episode 122, we should warn you, it's the second of a two-parter. So when you thought, you know, I can't be bothered catching up with every episode, well, 121 might be required listening for this one. On part one of the Modern Football Fan, we spoke about how some supporters express themselves these days and how uh, much more than the why they support their team in the way that they do. But this is part two. 
Is there a right way to be a fan? And how will you be a fan in the future? After all, all our talk of performative fanning <laughs> last week, is that something that we can do? Um, this week, we are going to try and avoid um, being all virtuous ourselves. We are not the arbiters of how people should support their clubs, but instead have a discussion about whether there is a way forward that tries to eradicate some of the ugliness that we discussed last week, uh, while seeking not to dilute that support to the point of anemia. It is the podcast version of how people used to describe players like Alan Smith, the Leeds one, and Wayne Rooney. Well, you don't want to take that part of the game away from them. Um, so part two of SPM's miniseries on the modern football fan is there a right way uh, to be a fan and how will that fan fan in the future? So the, well, the, the short answer is no, is there? There's not a right way to be a fan. And it's, it's faintly ludicrous that everyone spends a lot of time telling each other how they should and shouldn't support their team. So if, as we said last week, if you happen to live nearby and go to the games, brilliant, well done. If you live in Newcastle, Australia, but support Newcastle United, and you wake up at three in the morning to watch them lose to Burnley or whatever, then, then yep, you're a fan. If you don't speak the language, if you come, if you save money, this was the thing that annoyed me about the half-and-half half scarves, if you remember back to that, that you, you quite often as you go, go around, not just Premier League games, but games in, in Europe, you will see groups of people who are very clearly have come from, from China, Malaysia, Indonesia, Japan, and they have come to a game as part of their, their as part of a big trip around Europe and for a lot of those people it will be the only time they see Barcelona or Juventus whoever they support in the flesh and it is incredibly exciting they will have saved up huge amounts of money to pay for that trip to come and, and worship at their church of choice and to diminish them as supporters because they're not native is is, is essentially horrific to to treat them as though they're some sort of second-class citizen, some kind of resource that we can exploit as, as, the, the, as the British people who happen to have all these football clubs. I'm reading a book called The Silk Roads at the moment, which I would recommend to anybody. It's absolutely fascinating. That deals a lot with kind of the legacies of imperialism and colonialism within kind of the middle and f- middle, near and far east. Um, and the way we talk about football fans is exactly the same. It's this idea that, that we can go and sell them our stuff, our opium, we go and say to the Chinese, you want this stuff, you want this stuff, buy the shirts, buy the shirts, give us your TV money, give us your broadcasting rights. And then they dare to come to our stadiums. And we... Oh, and take photos. Take photos and not, not know the words to the songs. And we have the nerve to tell them that they're not proper fans. When they, they will have spent thousands on that trip and it will be the one thing that, you, that they wanted to do. It'll be, they might have designed a trip around it. I know lots of people in the States, I have a lot of kind of emails and stuff from people in the States who say... They now take their holidays every year and try and take in two or three Premier League games at any one time. That's more dedicated than most British people are to their football club. Yeah. By a mile. And the nerve of people to sell something to the rest of the world and then resent the rest of the world for wanting a piece of it. Funnily enough, you can, you can make this exact same case about the migrant crisis. But that's, um, yeah, that, that's an even more annoying subject. But yeah, it, <laughs> that infuriate, this idea that, that you have to go to the games to be a fan. What if you can't afford it? You're not a proper fan because you can't afford it? Don't give me that. This idea that you have to kind of nostalgicise the 60s, the 70s and the 80s. When it was, it was dangerous going to games, when l- families were forced out, when women didn't go, when kids couldn't go, when there was not just the Nazis on the, ter- on the terraces, but the, the violence on the streets, where there were, there were no toilets. There's a book by a friend of mine, Josh Robinson, and Jonathan Clegg called The Club, which is about the rise of the Premier League, which goes into a lot of detail about a lot of things, but the best bit is about the toilets at the Emirates, which was that David Dean's big thing was that the toilets at football stadiums used to be disgusting. And if anyone listening went to a football stadium before the, what, 1992, 93? 
probably pro- to be honest, probably before about 2000, you didn't want to go for a Wii because it was grim. And the idea that, that because you like being treated respect, respectfully as though you are, it's a dirty word, but yeah, as though you're a customer, you wouldn't go into a shop and expect to be kettled into the corner. And then if you nip to the House of Fraser toilet... you've not been there before. Because yeah. you've not been there before, or because it's not your local House of Fraser. Yeah. And then you go to the toilet, and it's just smeared with all this stuff. And then you come out, and someone, someone glasses you, because you're, not buying, because you're not wearing the right dress. You can't shop in John Lewis, because you've not got a John Lewis partnership <laughs> card. <laughs> that shows what sort of uh, world we live in. But... That, We've Steve, sure that Steve's go-to is the John Lewis partnership card. <laughs> yes. We've all probably been on the other side of this. I know I, I have. I've been to an NHL game, ice hockey, in the States on three occasions in my entire life. So each one of those has been a really big deal to me. You know, and sorry, I, I bought a hat on each occasion. I wore my shirt. I bought one of your massive cans of beer that you have in the US, inexplicably large cans of beer. That's because it's and, all watered down, I mean. <laughs> and, and do you know what? I took photos and... You know, I, I remembered every moment of it because I don't get to do it very often. So I'm sure there were regulars at Madison Square Garden sneering, going, oh, look, here's another limey so-and-so over for a, a, trip, a trip to take in our, our New York sport. But that was important for me to be there. And I would hate to think that somebody would have denied me the right mm. to be there because they get to go 40 times a season. All these sports rely on the fact we live in a global community and that, that they can access people across the world to sell them their tat. Do you know what I mean? And to, to well, but the, the reason that half-and-half half scarves exist is because those vendors know that there will be enough people who have an interest in buying them, yeah. and they know that none of them will be, or very few yeah. of them, will be local fans who go every week. So exactly. that, that's market forces. You can't deny that. But, but also, you know, the reason the Premier League is, su- is such a success, the reason that you can, you can argue it on Twitter about whether, whether Man City are the best team in, in, in English history, the reason that Abu Dhabi have bought into English football, because the reason, yeah, the reason the current... Man City exists is as the Premier League is such a success the reason it's such a success is just people around the world watch it it's not just a you sitting in your house in England because those TV rights are only worth a certain amount it all relies on internationalism you cannot demand the benefits of that without expecting a cost it's uh, not, it's, it doesn't work like that. And, and the big clubs, let's be honest... <laughs> Stephen is waving a very large Steve's knife around. Nice about, I'm, well, I'm just about to start point. preparing Rory's second sandwich for <laughs> Finally. it. Um, it takes time. When you're cooking things from scratch, when you've got to bake the bread, I can't just like done a really good job. magic it out of the I bread. I thought bit. it was brilliant how you cut that packet open. <laughs> <laughs> the, the oven was already heated up, so you know that really was just putting it in. M- much as the big clubs love their season ticket money up front... Of course, in many ways, the best case scenario for them, you know, if you're talking about Old Trafford, 75,000 seats, is that they get 75,000 different people sat yeah. in those seats for each and every home game of a season because that's 75,000 people who are going to buy a programme because it's a one-off. They're going to go to the club shop and spend money because it's a one-off and are probably more likely to buy their food and drink from the concessions in the stadium rather than from their favourite local pub or takeaway because it's a one-off and they're making an occasion of it so we do you have to embrace it I mean I know ticket prices are are pretty extortionate for a lot of people but if it wasn't for those people who are coming from overseas or making those once a season trips and are willing to dig deep for the experience ticket prices would probably be even higher can I say two things really quickly one only if I'm out that that subject because we have an email pertaining to it almost exactly all right well I'll do the tangent first (laughs) so the the first the tangent is that at City, definitely, and at Anfield, and I think at other clubs, you now see more and more that the, a lot of the, the concession stands, the, 
the Birdie vans and stuff have been brought in-house that the club are providing yep. them. So City Square, where Hugh struts his stuff around the pole before James at the Etihad. <laughs> it is true. It is uh, the, the sole reason for my excellent physique. And your, pa- your dance to Tina Turner's Simply the Best is, is outstanding. He's, simply he's the paid best. in a similar fashion. That's why he wears such a big belt. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, um, I only accept <laughs> denominations of £10 and above. Thank you very much indeed. But at the risk of kind of see- seeking help from the hive mind, I've been meaning to write about the old birder vans that I presume have been put out of business by the clubs wanting to take every revenue stream for ages. So if anyone has any particularly beloved birder vans at English clubs, then please email us. But the second thing is that, yeah, we, we can't deny that the fans are being priced out of the game and that there is a knock-on effect that the more people who are not familiar with the stadium is that the, the atmosphere suffers. That's, that's undeniable and fans are being priced out of the game. I think that the, the it's become trendy, it's become a virtue signaling thing to to bemoan what we've lost rather than to think about what we've gained within football. Measures could be taken to help remedy the ticket price situation while still attracting interest from outside and giving the fans who, who live a long way away the chance that they deserve to watch the club just once or twice because that's all they generally want. That, that those two things don't, are not in competition. You can still have a bedrock of local fans who make loads of noise and lots of people coming to see it from a further afield because it's their their pilgrimage once in a lifetime or whatever. Those two things are not mutually exclusive. Uh, Joe Buckle has emailed, and thank you once again for all those emails that you have sent in uh, in relation uh, to this subject. And uh, Joe is uh, particularly intrigued by the discussion as he is currently doing his university dissertation on this very subject. Oh, God. Uh, feel free to quote us. Um, it's very expensive. Uh, an interesting area, says Joe, to consider is the mindset around attending matches, particularly how some of it predates the modern era and what it will look like in the future. In some quarters, there exists the thought of those that don't go to matches as being plastic or armchair fans. But when you take into account the cost of going and the difficulty of accumulating loyalty points to even get access to tickets at some clubs, does this way of thinking actually fit football in the contemporary context? It seems much of this attitude stems from fans who attended week in, week out, pre the Premier League era. But for young people now who have grown up watching matches on TV, will we have a generation that reject the idea that they should go and just see it as as, as an optional luxury? In this sense, could this become more akin to the music industry, whereby people can quite happily listen to artists' songs or watch them on TV or YouTube without ever feeling that they should go and watch them live? People may go to fewer games and thus be prepared to spend more on those games. For example, people may be willing to spend £150 on a ticket to see Arsenal or Liverpool once a year, but wouldn't spend £900 on a season ticket because they don't see going every week as a realistic or worthwhile investment, thus changing the overall mindset around attending matches and having, as Steve mentioned, uh, Joe goes on to say, a particular effect that the clubs might actually encourage that um, because of the increased revenue and the increased fan base uh, but also it may well lead to some sort of drop off in season ticket sales because mm. actually people are thinking well I don't want to attend every match and the, the other thing you need to remember is that the, the, uh, the reason a lot of pe- the people want to go to football stadiums the thing that you get from the stadium that you don't just, it's, it's better watching a game on TV you see more of the game on TV there's not people standing in your way you don't, there's not a long queue for the lose there's not all that stuff that going to a football stadium actually brings it's just you it's get sometimes the atmosphere. cold as well it can be very cold and if, if it turns out that if you are cold you're not allowed to buy certain types of scarves no, no. because it's <laughs> forbidden by Piers Morden and Henry Winter even if they're readily available even if they are readily available and actually quite competitively priced <laughs> And make a lovely souvenir once you've got back into the warmth. Just, I did want to pick you up on this last week because you've got a job, quite an important one. I do you've have got, a job. You've, you've got a. I wouldn't say it's got a job. You've got you know work life balance. You've got a son. You've got a dog, and you're reading all about the Silk Road. 
Mm. Where do you find time for Twitter spats with Piers Morgan? <laughs> oh, you can do it one on the loo. The, um, <laughs> oh, the just like Donald Trump. <laughs> yes. Uh, that is one thing that binds you two together. The, I thought you were going to say, could you afford a season ticket? And the answer, to be honest, is no. I don't think I could afford a season ticket. You couldn't afford it, but also you wouldn't be able to redeem it. So no. you wouldn't be able to fulfil uh, everything that it gives you. So I think, that yeah, is what, not a sensible investment. But what I was going to say was that... The atmosphere is really important. So the other thing, that, as well as the balancing up the finances of day ticket sales and season ticket sales, is that the clubs have to remember that, that what people are going for is the experience, is the noise and the colour and the vibrancy of a stadium. So you have to protect that. But the flip side of that is that the worst people at football stadiums, invariably, if you take out the, kind of the, the, the violent ones, in terms of creating atmosphere, are the regular, are the sort of 55-year-old men who just go as they've always gone and they just sit there, they don't do anything. There there is no correlation between how long you have been going and how much noise you make. And if there is a correlation, it's it's inverse Inverse, proportion. Not not, not that 55-year-old men uh, should be told that they shouldn't go to... They they can do... 55-year-old men can can do what they like. like. I'm not in charge of the 55-year-olds. But don't don't correlate length of time with ability to make atmosphere. Don't assume that atmosphere and longevity are the same thing. Um, We we, uh, had a buzzword last time, uh, which was performative. The buzzword this time is virtue signalling, which is, uh, and it probably has become a bit of a pejorative term, essentially in a way to undermine somebody's attempts to appear like they are a good and legitimate and loyal fan when in fact they're just using it to maybe paper over some cracks about their ability to support their team in the right way if there is a right way which we are going to spend this entire episode deciding that there isn't um this has particular effect if you are a fan from a good distance away and you feel like you need to be able to show your support for a team that you don't have a geographical connection with it's also particularly prevalent in fans who perhaps support more of an individual than they do a team. And lots of people on Twitter have been talking about this uh, to us after we asked for your contributions about the rise of the fan of the individual rather than the club. Carl Carpenter, thank you very much indeed. FPL Stag to you and Alexandria Mercier, just in conversation on Twitter. Very interesting to hear all your thoughts. Thank you very much uh, indeed. So there are those who will support an individual above a team. And we've spoken about this before relating to Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo about the shift of fans from Real Madrid to Juventus when Cristiano Ronaldo uh, made the move. And sometimes fans of that individual are louder. They are more intense. They virtue signal more than those fans that we spent the first part of this uh, podcast talking about and also last week's podcast that you are bound by some sort of loyalty that so much so that your blood is shared between you and your club now we're talking about the potential future where individuals become so important that the club diminishes but you are still just as bound in a blood tie to that individual and so you end up talking about it in the similar terms but you are aiming it at a different thing I'm interested that we got so much correspondence about this and that it's viewed as being not only potentially a problem now but one that could become even greater in the future is it not just a moment in time that is reflective of the sort of Messi Ronaldo era are we going to see this continue is it not just the greatness of those two players that has brought these sorts of fans to the fore and that we see an awful lot of them on Twitter and we see them exchanging support for Real Madrid to Juventus because of 
Ronaldo? Have we got a, a next generation of superstar footballers that are going to? Because I'm I'm not quite. Sh- people were making were drawing the parallels with the sort of the franchise system of sport in North America, and you know, great players like LeBron James and, and players following them from from franchise to franchise. But I'm I'm not sure that that football as a sport relies as heavily on one superstar player or a couple of superstar players is perhaps the likes of American football in terms of a quarterback or, you know, in terms of what a, a LeBron Dre, James or <clears throat> Kevin Durant or Steph Curry can do in basketball. This could fade away, could it not, with, with, the, with the retirements of the likes of Messi and Ronaldo? This is a really interesting subject. Well done, Stephen. Very much the LeBron of the podcast. The, Just a little bit shorter. In that you <laughs> used to be quite good, but you're struggling now. <laughs> the, uh, I'll happily move to LA <laughs> to put that to the test. Because you're concentrating too much on your other projects. Exactly. <laughs> well, my fashion line. Poss- your fashion line is going to be... My sneakers. Hot. Um, the Yes, maybe, but also no, probably not. Because I think this is where it's relevant where how fans are coming to the game. So if, you, if, you, if your exposure to football comes from your parents telling you this is the team that we support or your everyone at the same at your school supporting you know that thing where you've got to pick a team at school to support and you either support the local team one of the two local teams in the area that we are uh, although actually to be fair you only ever see I've noticed it recently you see so many people in Manchester City paraphernalia in Didsbury but you see very little United which would which fits how the city traditionally divided up where yes, the South Manchester. Was South Manchester is city country. Stockport yeah. city country. Um, that that's something I've noticed whilst walking the dog. They might just have a larger range. In possibly. Option. Maybe uh, the coats are nicer. Yeah. Anyway, but anyway, that's, that's <laughs> maybe in the summer you'll see loads. Of, there's like United have got a good singlet range, and you'll see loads <laughs> possibly. Of, yeah, loads maybe of United just, yeah. bests and City haven't caught up in that regard. It might be that that is a possibility. The uh, terrifying possibility. No, you're going to talk about that being an element of virtual si- virtue signalling that you have to like LeBron James having a. a you know, we made a joke about Stephen having his own range mm. of clothing. That wasn't a but joke. That is the <laughs> I like the idea of it. But the, the the culture of the individual is exploited in a way because they know that if somebody like Cristiano Ronaldo has a David Beckham has a range. Everyone, all these people have a range of clothing because they know that people support them as an individual. That's a valid point, but it's not the valid point I was going to make. Okay, I'm the, glad we've added to your valid point. I think there is a there is the secondary point, which is that in the states, because the team in professional sports, because the teams can move it makes much more sense almost to, to latch onto an individual because you know that the, the team, the, the franchise is not necessarily permanent anyway. So it's it's easier, I think, and North Americans, I can't speak for all North Americans because I'm not North American, but it'd be interesting to know whether what their view on that subject is, on the nature of support in the States, why it does seem to be more, more individual. But what I was going to say is that if you have kids who are coming to football, not because their parents are telling them who to support or because everyone at their school supports the same, the same team or they're everyone at their school supports a different team so they want to be kind of unique. If you have them come into football, A, as a television sport, B, as a social media phenomenon, and C, as a video game, you are much more likely to latch on to a favourite player because your team on FIFA or Pro Evo always has Messi or Ronaldo or whatever. That is how you will choose your team and that is how you will identify with a player. You did not want to speak on behalf of all America, Rory. Uh, Hans Martin not again. Is, is happy to do that. Uh, he's from Washington, D.C., originally from Illinois, he says in the email. Um, and he ends it with a P.S. Only the last paragraph really matters. Skip to that. Okay then, Hans Martin. 
I will. Okay then, Hans Martin, I will. He says the FIFA video game factor is huge among Americans. I imagine he means all Americans, everyone. I know more people that play FIFA than regularly watch games on TV or support a single team. Meanwhile, he says, shout out to York City, my latest football manager team that I've guided from the Vanarama North to the championship. Uh, congratulations. Up the Minstermen, he says, which um, having spent a year stewarding for the Minstermen, I can also add my voice to those calls to up the Minstermen. Um, Meanwhile, he returns to his original point. I regularly watch and support teams in the top flights of England and Germany, but some people are just happy to relax by playing as whichever team has the best ranking on FIFA or with their fantasy ultimate team. But does the lack of following the club um, really make them any less of a fan of soccer or are they just a different kind of fan? Should fans be classified? That doesn't seem fair because naturally people will try to create a hierarchy or ranking of fans, trying to out-fan each other when really we should just be happy that more and more new fans are being created. And there was something similar from Robbie Wells on Twitter which ties into where you get your knowledge of the game from, not just your fandom, but your supposed understanding of it because Robbie said and this I hadn't thought of this and it's a really good point that the football manager slash FIFA generation and he includes himself in that who are experts on players teams or tactics without watching any footage of real players teams or tactics tactics he says I could have told you the strengths and potential of the Ajax team that beat Real Madrid in the Champions League last 16 two or three years ago I've never watched them play yeah that source of knowledge lends itself a little bit to the to the increase in hostility to the kind of the general tension within social media distress in terms of football which i think you is worse on facebook than twitter twitter gets all the people always say it's terrible on twitter i suspect if you go into the into comment threads on facebook on facebook it's even worse because the general level of intelligence is somehow lower but the um that i think that's really important because people are assuming that that is knowledge that they have mm. rather than a very, very well-educated guess from an, an yeah. expert team of, of scouts and stuff that Football Manager and FIFA employ. So it, it becomes, questioning that team doesn't just become a disagreement about how good Matthias de Ligt is. It becomes questioning your knowledge, which is a much more personal thing. But yeah, I think that's, that's true that more and more people now come to, fo- their first exposure to football is FIFA. They will later graduate maybe onto playing Football Manager as well. But on FIFA, you are exposed to the players you want to be the players because the players are good so you might win you've got children of, of requisite age indeed when I when I used to play FIFA I no longer have time I would always choose a team that would be a bit of a challenge to play with you'd want to win the French title with Auxerre or something you'd want to yeah, do yeah. something that you had a storyline to it kids don't operate like that kids want to have the best team and win the game they don't care about anything else Rory and his cousin were playing FIFA. They were playing on the same side so they don't get Steve into a fight. Son is also called Rory. Named after me. For new listeners. He's eight years old, as is his cousin. And they were playing as Manchester City against Accrington Stanley. <laughs> is that right? Because they were, they were determined that not only that they were going to win, but that they were going to win in style. Yeah. And yeah, I, I can see how that translates itself in, you know, not just with, you know, young kids, but... It, in other ways as well, Rory's cousin is a big Liverpool fan because he loves Mohamed Salah. His dad is a United fan. There's absolutely no... He lives in Manchester, but he has latched onto Liverpool because of Salah. And I wonder whether, having said that that sort of fad of following a player might die out with Messi or Ronaldo, I guess someone like Mo Salah could potentially, and if he was to leave Liverpool for another club, they could, Liverpool could have picked up supporter, support on the back of what he's achieved as an Egyptian, as a Muslim, 
and they might follow him to, to wherever he goes next. Yeah, possibly. And I think that, I think but, I suspect but that's partly because of FIFA, not just because yeah, yeah, of yeah. Salah being as good as Messi or Ronaldo. It's because FIFA is the background. It's the foundation for that cult of individuals. Because there's not a lot of kids who will be watching full football, who will be watching every, I mean, not every Liverpool game's on TV. A lot of kids maybe don't have, the, certainly at, at Rory's age, and I don't mean this disparagingly, probably don't have the attention span to sit regularly through 90 minutes of football. They want to go and do other stuff. Might um, not have access to might, it. And they might not have access to it. About. So your, your exposure comes from, right, who's the twittiest on FIFA? Who's, the, who's got yep. the highest skill level on FIFA? So the Barcelona thing, who obviously have the best player on FIFA generally, Mark Andre Tostadin, the, <laughs> the um, kids, kids will come to football through FIFA. They will always want to be Messi. So after a while, their loyalty is to Messi. And because Messi's never left Barcelona, that's never been tested. But So they can say they're Barcelona fans. But really... They're Messi fans, and they then grow up being loyal to Messi, not to anybody else. And I, so I, they'll never be another Messi or another Ronaldo. But I suspect that whoever comes next, whether that's Frankie Dion or Kylian Mbappe, yeah, they will. There will be kids who are always Mbappe on FIFA, so or always PSG on FIFA, and therefore are fans of Mbappe first and foremost. And, and it may distort future football fans' expectations of what they're going to see when they do watch. Yeah a game in real life because they'd be like hang on a second this guy's got 90 pace on FIFA but he's just been outstripped to that loose ball by the fullback or he's brilliant at heading on FIFA but he's got beaten in the air by the centre-back or I won the league with him in my team on football manager so why are they bottom of the league now in real life and and in that same way that fans latch onto YouTube clips of potential signings you know with lots of this guy's going to be mint we've got to get him hashtag techers and all that business yeah. then th- what what they view in, in terms of little clips on Twitter or what they see or are able to do with a footballer on a computer game might raise expectations of, of the real thing which ties into another interesting little phenomenon which is related I think which is the criticism players and teams get for being human and if mm. if you look at someone said to me the other day that that what Manchester City have done and what Messi have done on a collective and uh, individual basis has kind of distorted what people is, people think is is achievable. Messi's goal return is not achievable. You cannot do what Messi 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 can do what Messi can do, and no one else can do it. It's obviously all right. Messi and Ronaldo. Yes, exactly. Careful. <laughs> there are those two, and that's it. So it's not. We, we now say to you know. I think Mauricio Sarri said at the start of the season that Eden Hazard has to, you know is capable of scoring forty goals a season. That's just he was asked whether he could be as effective for Chelsea as Messi is for Barcelona. He, Hazard's a brilliant player, not to score 40 goals in a season because he's not Lionel Messi. He's certainly not going to do it for 12 years in a row because he's not Lionel Messi. Same with City getting 100 points and playing in that style. We now assume that is, that is what wins championships, that's what champions look like. It isn't. Champions look like all sorts of different things. Normally, they win a lot of games 1-0. And, it's the, and that then ties into a thought I've had with Liverpool a lot recently, which is that I think, because, I think people are remembering, comparing this season's Liverpool to last season's Liverpool, assuming they're trying to win the title in the same way, but not playing as well. I don't think they're trying to play as well. They're, not, they're trying to play a different sort, sort of football. And also, the, what people remember of last year's Liverpool are the, the highlights. Yeah. You don't remember all the games that, where they, they either drew or lost or, or kind of ground out like a 2-1 win. You, you remember the, the 10 minutes against Man City and, and assume that that is... It's the atomization and the kind of bite sizeification of football which has distorted what we think is A, achievable, and what we think happens. So I think, and that, that ties into FIFA, because it's treating football as much more of an algorithm as a sum total of, right, these are the, these are the qualities these players have, this is what should happen. It doesn't really work like that. And I think that then opens players up when they, when they let down their 
stats on FIFA or your, your memories that have been distorted by the bite-sized vignettes, you then see players getting all this abuse because they're not living up to a standard that they've never set themselves. And it ties in with something that you were saying earlier about is there a right and wrong way to support a club? Although I agree with you that there isn't, I do also see it from the point of view of the match going regular, how they might feel that their support is that little bit more valid or that they have a a more informed impression of what's going on because they have experienced more of those highs and lows rather than just tuning in for the exceptional moments of quality that you you remember. They they've lived the roller coaster so they can understand why Liverpool even though they were brilliant last season, didn't win the title, and why they might win the title this season despite not playing as well. And that is, without question, the, the thing that... It doesn't make you a more valid fan, no. but go, I think going to the... Watching the games on TV regularly, and even more than that, going to the games, does give you a more humanised view yeah. of what's going on. So you're more likely to think, do you know what? He is, that, that guy is playing poorly but he's trying his hardest, yeah. rather than just thinking, I don't want to, seeing this stuff like, don't want to, you know, I don't want to see, I don't know, Nicolas Otamendi in the team ever again. I hope we never, Riyad Mahrez, sell him straight away. You're much more likely to think, do you know what, Mahrez actually had quite a good game a couple of weeks ago. Just didn't do a couple, a couple of things didn't quite come off for him. Yeah. But, I, you know, I can see what he's doing. He's really, he's really trying. You, that is a nuance that is lost when you're, the way you follow the club is a lot more tangential. That's not to do with distance. I think that's to do with attention. So the more attention you pay to the club, the more likely your view is to be nuanced. It doesn't matter whether you're regularly going to the games. If you're just watching the games regularly, you will have that kind of view. I think if you don't watch the games regularly, and I think there are a lot of fans who probably don't watch a lot of, a lot of games, who consume football in different ways, I think that is where you get a, a failure to, to give everything its proper context. And sometimes uh, there will be a match-going fan who has spent thousands of pounds over the years and given up many days off or um, taken holidays to support their team and they're being incredibly dedicated that is to be applauded if they can afford it obviously and they're not (laughs) bankrupting themselves in doing so that is to be applauded that is a fan a loyal loyal fan following his club but that doesn't it is not a zero-sum game that does not mean that anybody who is not doing that is not a fan exactly And, and in the future as the diaspora of Premier League football in particular spreads and spreads and spreads and whether it's the cult of individual or the big six in the Premier League or whatever it is and they pick up more and more fans and those fans show loyalty in ways that they can do it is the, ma- the, the responsibility of the match going fan whether on social media or not to understand that those people whether they're buying half and half scarves when they visit or not it is the responsibility of those people to understand that they are contributing in a way that they can just in the way that you are contributing in the way that you can because you have a different life and you have an ability to do so and obviously, the, the globalisation of football is likely to continue, but there remain alternatives. John Nicholson from Football 365, friend of the pod, often writes about the, the virtues of the championship in terms of being a much more intriguing competition that you know gives you the uncertainty that perhaps you no longer get from elite level football in, in the top sort of Western, in particular, European divisions. And also Matt Durant, a uh, friend of the pod, The Pigeon Post on Twitter from the mighty West Didsbury and Chilton said, as well as fandom becoming more global, is giving it a chance for it to become hyper-local. A disconnect from Football League fans, the cost of following an elite team, for example, has opened the door for non-league teams 
uh, the whole thing is a circle, a wheel within a wheel. And that, certainly that you see an, Elton John. You, <laughs> you certainly see a lot, an awful lot of people, you know, on a on a nice sunny day at West Didsbury and Chalton, who perhaps have decided they're no longer going to follow United or City yeah. week in week out. But do you know what? I really enjoy going, paying a fiver to get in, having a beer by the side of the pitch, and a chat with my mates. And the other thing we should point out is that just because you go to every game doesn't mean you're immune from having terrible opinions. Yes, it does make you does an it, expert. You can go into a stadium <laughs> yeah. and listen to people who are season ticket holders calling players by the wrong name, having no idea who the manager is, not knowing what position everybody's meant to be, just shouting, who fit? You know, yeah. the, there are fans who go to who tick all those boxes. Get, of, I like the get rid. The get rid. <laughs> get rid. And there are fans who tick all those boxes of being, you know, Devoted and go home and away and all blah blah blah, blah and have n- have not the slightest clue what they're talking Often about. Often it because it's they've had about seventeen pints prior to the well, game. Well, that's good. Remember, they go they travel away from home. They spend hundreds and hundreds of pounds. They go to a stadium they've never been to before, playing against a team that their team has never played against before, and have seventeen pints beforehand. Can't remember a thing about the game. That, the reason I've got, got I've got about that I find totally bemusing. I know we were we were sort of encouraging an apocalyptic view of football going forward and, and Martin Stafford who's contributed in the past to this podcast sent me a message ages ago about how he envisages a time he's the season ticket holder at Old Trafford envisages a time when the attraction of football on television will be diminished by the fact that it's only 40 and 50 year old blokes in the stadium complaining the whole time <laughs> that's not quite an easy pro- such an easy product to sell and the Old Trafford crowd has gone up in a tremendous grumble <laughs> yeah. um, oh that wasn't a throw very 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 quickly uh, because firstly Rory has has to go. I do, yeah. The next item on his agenda is parenting. Is uh, two uh, regular contributors to finish off. Firstly, from Simon Bosworth, is there a possibility the fans could follow a manager rather than the team in the future? If the style of football and the makeup of the team is so hip- heavily influenced by the manager, am I supporting Liverpool or am I supporting Jurgen Klopp? I think that, that is possible. It would, would only be a small proportion, but I think wherever Klopp goes next, there'll be, there, there would be a number of Liverpool fans who probably follow him to see how he's doing generally and finally uh, from Adam who is at 35who on Twitter people will start supporting kit manufacturers due to the team's kits that they provide as well as the players that they sponsor although he says if I could specifically support Puma's Italy shirts at the mid-noughts I would absolutely do that and consider ditching Arsenal uh, well Puma have dropped Man City now so you'd probably be more successful <laughs> but the um, people do that already people have favourite brands people do support brands that's how we interact with brands when I was a kid it was Nintendo or Sega Coke or Pepsi, you, you had to choose. That is how we interact with brands. So although that is a humorous tweet <laughs> from Adam, he's right on a serious note. Well, I've got to go. That, that is a sensational way to end Rory's contribution to the podcast. Rory, Otherwise uh, my child will be sat in a house on his own. Uh, yes, which is something that we would probably countenance. Is, is apparently frowned upon in parenting. <laughs> Hector's pretty responsible, though. Yeah, I don't know. I can for, see him leading up for the five path. minutes. It'd be all right. It'd be fine. It'd be fine. See you later, Rory. Stop procrastinating. You have to go and be a father. Um, so uh, as Rory makes his exit, before we go ourselves, it's time for Nevermind Jack and Rory. What a soccer story! This is when Andy tells us a tale from his playing days, with all adult behaviour and libel-worthy details removed. But to do this, we have to fire up the modem and go direct to Portugal and say hello, Andrew. Hold on, hold on, fellas. I am not in Portugal. Shock horror. I am in England. What? Yes, there's been, a, there's been a dental emergency, not with me, but with my wife. We had to fly home very, very quickly via Edinburgh because we couldn't get any other flights. And we've had to have root canal surgery. I say we, 
I mean Nikki. She's had to have her tooth sorted. Uh, well, will you send um, our best wishes um, to your dear wife, Nikki? And perhaps if you could explain to her that she doesn't have to speak for the foreseeable future because it might be a little bit too amusing to hear her. Well, if she were to say something, it would probably be... Hoof, 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 hoof. So if I can kind of possibly tell you what that means, it means thank you for your sympathy. I am fine. That's basically like we sounded when we were trying to do the podcast whilst eating sandwiches earlier, Ginger. So you've, you've had root canal as well, basically. So this is really upsetting. You are you are but, what, three or four miles away from our current location, and yet you are not on the podcast because you have to be playing nursemaid. Yes, I spent 36 hours in Portugal before we got the call for the, um, the emergency appointment, and because she was struggling so badly, wallop, we had to jump on a plane to Edinburgh, then fly from Edinburgh to Manchester. It's the only way we could get back. But being the selfless individual and husband that I am, I took one for the team and back we came. What I'm slightly confused about is that you can get IKEA to do your kitchen in Portugal, you can get Joao to do your abs in Portugal, but you can't find a dentist to do root canal surgery in Portugal. There is a dentist, clearly there are dentists in Portugal, which apparently our friend Margarita, uh, Ma- uh, Magnahita tells us are very good, but we couldn't run the risk of going to see a rogue dentist and it going wrong. It could be it could be awful. So we had to come home to our go-to dentist. I love that he just made up the name of someone there. He was so unconvinced of what the person's name was. She is called Magnahita Kempadu. I have not made her name up. Magnahita Kempadu. There, I've said it twice in succession. Clearly, she is a friend of ours. Uh, well, I'm glad that you are making new friends out in Portugal who will ruin your wife's teeth. Or at least you're going to perhaps not have the risk that she will ruin your wife's teeth. So, uh, Chinch, you are here to contribute to the podcast, which is glorious because Rory has just gone off for uh, parenting time. Uh, so if you wouldn't mind, it is when you tell us a tale from a plain dance with all adult behaviour and libel where the details removed. Right, so question for you here. What have the following football grounds got in common related to me? The National Stadium in Gabon, Pitodri, the home of the famous Aberdeen Football Club, and Boundary Park Oldham. What do those three grounds have in common if you're thinking of me? I was going to say grounds where Chinch has been sent off, but he didn't list Craven Cottage or... Um... Pride Park on Is that it list. grounds where Chinch uh, did his knee? No, no, I did my knee in every other ground apart from those three. Is it grounds where you successfully delivered a corner with the right pace rather than slightly overhitting it? Uh, an in-swinging corner that the keeper can't come and deal with, Stephen. I think you find the, the Gabon players really did struggle with those in-swinging corners. But what it is, the answer to the question, I know everybody out there wants to know the answer. They are the hottest places that I have ever played football in. Oldham, Aberdeen and Gabon. Extraordinary, isn't it? Well, hang on a minute. Oldham, Boundary Park, is known as being the coldest ground in the UK. Ice Station Zebra. Not in... It was August 1997. Joe Parkinson, one of the dogs of war, got sunstroke. It was that hot. (laughs) Aberdeen, we played another... I think it was an end-of-season game in Aberdeen. Absolutely roasting. And Gabon, as you would probably expect, that it does tend to be a tad hot. This was when Mel Machin took over at Man City back in, I think it was 1987. It was one of my first tours that I'd been on. I was a little bit rotund. I was carrying a little bit of puppy fat because I was in my early stages of my tremendous career. And I'm sure he saw me playing out in Gabon and said, who the hell is that tub of lard we have at left back? Yet two years later, there I am for Mel Machin scoring in the Manchester derby. So it just shows what can happen if you stick to your principles. So it took you two years to get rid of the puppy fat then? Well, the Gabon heat actually helped. I think a lot of it melted away. But I remember Tony Buck, he was one of the coaches, he was my youth team coach at City. And when Mel came, he kind of helped out because a lot of the younger players were in the first team at that time. And I remember we did a training session and it must have been about 110 degrees. And I remember Tony Buck pointing up 
at the, the bright orb in the sky and saying, that's nothing, it, it shouldn't affect how you play. Yes, it did. It was 110 degrees, Tony. There's no way anyone should be playing football in those conditions. But because we were 17, 18, we should be able to deal with it. But it was it was perilous to our health. Clearly. Well, Chinch, it's been glorious that you can uh, join us from such a good distance away. Thank you very much indeed uh, for your contribution as ever. Yeah, it was it was interesting, wasn't it? Gabon. I don't think we've mentioned Gabon on the podcast before, have we? Uh, we have not. And uh, I would uh, like to at least fashion a story about Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang at some point in the future so that we can mention Gabon again. Have we had any uh, kind of contact from people in Gabon? Is there anyone actually listening out there? Because they're missing a trick if they're not listening to this episode. Chinch, we'll, we'll study the metrics incredibly carefully to, to make sure that the, the message about your love for playing football in Gabon uh, reaches people in that fine country. It wasn't particularly love. I was an overweight teenager being berated by the new coach in 110 degrees heat. So it wasn't that much fun, to be honest. I have mixed memories of Gabon. Well, thank you very much indeed for at least conjuring up a picture of you being incredibly um, rotund, but also sweaty, uh, as we no doubt enjoy more of Steve's uh, chicken and bacon uh, sandwiches, which, by the way, have been enjoyed without you and would have completely ruined Nikki's teeth if she had to at least tackle one. Did you have any avocado with them? We did have guacamole. Very good, Chinch. Yes, you're a man of fine taste. Chicken, bacon and, and guacamole, avocado. That's a great combo right there. Well, Chinch, that has been noted in your absence, but unfortunately, uh, because Rory has gone, it's going to be one all in opinions on that particular subject of those currently in the room. Uh, Stay there, Chinch. We're going to say goodbye, and you can very much join in with that, because I know that you intend to contribute as much as possible uh, in your absence. So we leave you with a reminder of how to get in touch with Set Piece Menu uh, via Twitter at Set Piece Menu or setpiecemenu at gmail.com is the email address. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Rory, to Stephen, and to Andy, and to you all for listening, we'll be back with another set piece many for you to enjoy very soon indeed. I've just realised I've actually done, in the soccer stories that I've done, I know I've done numerous hilarious soccer stories, but I've actually talked about the coldest I've ever been, which was in Copenhagen, and the hottest I've ever been, which was in Gabon. So isn't that fascinating stuff? <laughs> uh, Chinch, you, uh, you are the circle of life in, uh, in punditry form. Am I really? Uh, you are, and for that we're very grateful indeed. What does the rest of the day hold for you now that you're not in Portugal then? Um, well, if Nikki can pick her head up off the pillow, because that's not easy when you've had root canal surgery, and I've had it as well, and it is a terrible, terrible thing. Um, we might get out into the garden, and I think we want, she wants to put up some frames for some peas, some trailing peas or something or other. I don't know. She's growing stuff in the garden. I don't get involved. I just build. I'm a practical man. That you are, Chinch. Not quite practical enough to be able to make the extra four miles over to this particular part of South Manchester and staying in your own little part of South Manchester instead. Uh, Chinch, thank you very much indeed. We also want to say, Steve and I and Rory as well, thank you to all those people who have contributed to the last two podcasts. It's been incredible to hear you and the response was wonderful. It was magnificent. It was speedy, which was good because we needed a day to prepare it all. Uh, There may well be those um, who we have referenced in terms of your content but haven't had a chance to uh, individually thank Uh, so to all those people not individually thank you very much uh, indeed I know that Steve was particularly grateful as the social media correspondent of the group to have such a flood of fantastic opinions uh, to steal uh, for the last two podcasts Uh, so uh, Chinch we missed you and to all my friends in Gabon see ya